This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Second hour of Seattle Sports tonight coming your way here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your Thursday night here with us. Coors Light text line, 710-710. Jake Heaps with you. Curtis Rogers with you. You can listen to the show anywhere in the world via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Accurate dealers. Jake. That's right. We have gone through three previous combine previews this week. That leaves us with one more. Last one. Monday. I don't know, man. I'm kind of teared up about it. Yeah? Yeah. Should we have like a best of montage later in this? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, you know, we'll come back to it. We'll kind of overview what's going on and what we think. I I don't know. I, I, I'm enjoying this. People years from now, when they're at their local bar, Joe and Steve in, uh, in Tukwila there, they will reminisce about Seattle Sports at Night's 2019 <laughs> Combine Preview. That's right. Years from now. I, I can I those guys just bring that segment back? Oh, it's yeah. It's the best. It was the glory days like, of radio. Guys, it's October. We it, There's no Combine to speak of. Like we're in, <laughs> It's week three. We can't talk about the Combine. But we'll, we'll wrap up the 2019 Combine Preview Series here tonight. We went over the secondary on Monday night. Tuesday night was the front seven. Last night was the offensive line, and tonight it is offensive skill positions. Jake, you know a thing or two about playing one of those at least. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, quarterback. That's right. But I don't know if I was any good at catching the football. I mean, the quarterbacks, they do say they got the softest hands, so – you know, it might be able to catch a pass or two. Did, did you ever have to split out wide, like on a trick play? Yeah, yeah. How, like, Mark, was that the scariest feeling for you, knowing like, I don't know if I'm going to sell this? Not know? really. Honestly, it wasn't. It, it just really was about don't get hurt. There you don't go. go out there. Don't do anything stupid. You know, I, it's funny because around that time, Mark Sanchez, right, he's infamous for going splitting out wide. Getting the, scared the by the DB fakes DB. presses him yeah. and he and he flinches. <laughs> yeah, you just don't want to do anything like that. You don't want to lose your street cred yeah. out there. Yeah. That's the big thing. Because when that happens, you be like, I, I I knew you were there. Yeah, I wasn't scared the that's, whole time. That's right. There's there's nothing really you can say about that, and your teammates are going to see it and give you a bunch of crap for mm-hmm. it. So you just got to go out there, do your job. Don't act like a scaredy little cat out there, and and uh, you know if you got to throw a block. You know, don't be afraid to get your hands on them. There we go. Well, tonight the Combine Preview Series wraps up with offensive skill positions. We talked about it a little bit earlier uh, during 4-Down Territory about a a skill position that the Seahawks might be interested in that we're kind of overlooking. Talked about wide receiver. Let's get into quarterback and running back to start it off and then get it back to wide receiver. Uh, Paxton Lynch backing up Russell Wilson. Also, Russell Wilson entering into the final year of his contract. How much of an impact will that have on their decision-making with the quarterback position this offseason? Yeah, they are definitely in the market for quarterback quietly. And and whether it's going to be through free agency or whether it's going to be through the draft remains to be seen. But uh, they, they have to fulfill this. And, and the interesting part is, is that you spent – the befuddling part is you you spent – a draft pick last year to obtain Brett Hundley. So to not retain him instantly to your roster leaves me wondering as to 
what you were doing. Why and he didn't is this a question? Field. He didn't see the field at all. So why are you not retaining him instantly uh, is a question that I have uh, first and foremost. And if it didn't, if it wasn't a fit, if it didn't work out well, then man, you you really could have used that extra draft pick this year. Uh, but if they go the route of, hey, we want to try and develop a younger quarterback, a guy that um, we may not have seen the full story on, obviously that's what they're going with in Paxton Lynch, uh, giving him an opportunity in, in training camp and through this offseason. If they draft a quarterback, it's going to be in the later rounds, and, and uh, it's going to have to be someone that is that's really stands out to them uh, that has the athletic ability, have the tools that they're looking for, that they feel like they can mold this guy. So it'll be interesting as we as we unfold in the later months, going into the draft, uh, if there's any any momentum building in that in that way, especially when free agency opens up. Uh, but they are going to have to uh, add someone to this roster, and I'm I'm leaning towards the fact of I would like to see a a more experienced guy return. Or if you're going to go the young route, someone that can really function and operate in this system right away, not a true project guy that you know you could point to as like a Trevon Boykin, a guy who really you were trying to mold and shape, and there was a lot of room for growth. That uh, you know, could you really rely on that guy as a backup quarterback instantly? Well, we saw them try to go that route last year with Alex Magoo, the seventh round pick, right? Uh, but he is now, I believe, a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars after spending the majority of the season on the Seahawks practice squad. Uh, but now, I mean, we're a year removed from that. A seventh-round pick they used on Magoo didn't exactly work out. They spent a sixth-round pick to acquire Brett Hundley. I mean, they've they've gone through a couple of draft picks over the last couple of seasons on the quarterback position, and neither one of them has panned out in terms of being a steady backup for Russell Wilson. Right. Are the C- does recent history make the Seahawks I think a little more hesitant in using draft capital on a quarterback? I think it's the one position that again every NFL organization has had their sh- fair share of quarterback woes and struggles and it's the one position that you keep trying to take shots on to try and find that next guy. And the Seahawks, fortunately, have been in a position where they haven't needed to spend an early-round draft pick. They can keep trying to find someone in the later rounds and through free agency. Um, and I think that's the that's the fortunate position that the Seahawks are in. Now, the running back position, last year they spent a first-rounder on Rashad Penny. The year before they got uh, they, they hit pay dirt in the seventh round with Chris Carson. Mike Davis is potentially on his way out of the organization, uh, likely to get a bigger payday elsewhere. Running back with the Seahawks, I don't think they address it in this draft. I think this is the one position of all the positions on the roster that I think they are more than okay with entering into the season with Carson and Penny as they're one and two, and maybe going – uh, with a healthy CJ Procise, which seems like an oxymoron at this point. <laughs> I think uh, I think that's uh, that's that's wishful wishing. thinking. It's very wishful thinking. Uh, you know, CJ has has shown who he is. I don't know. We'll see if he even gets to the point where he ends up in training camp 
or even ends up uh, landing on this roster. But some of the guys that are interesting to me are is Bo Scarborough. Oh, yeah, um, on the practice squad. Yep, on the practice squad. J.D. McKissick obviously try, trying to establish and find a role uh, on the Seahawks uh, team and, and become more uh, a part of the, uh, the the playing time, getting on the field more. Uh, so Mike Davis is the one guy that you look at and say he was the solidifying presence on this roster. He was Mr. Consistent. He was the guy that you knew was going to be right in protection. He was going to run hard. He was going to be able to catch the ball. He was the two-minute guy. So can Chris Carson or Rashad Penny step up in those areas and really solidify themselves? If there's one knock that I have on Chris Carson is that he's not a third, he's not an every down back right now. He is a first, second, second down guy. Third down, he got taken out and he got taken out in the two-minute situations as well. Rashad Penny, the reason, uh, a main reason why he did not see a whole lot of playing time was because he was not up on the playbook. He was not uh, on his P's and Q's uh, in protection and also in the passing game. So if those two alone can step it up in those areas and round out their game, this, will, this position group will be much improved. Then you have the luxury to say, hey, we'll take a chance on a Bo, uh, Bo Scarborough, a guy who is a little bit cheaper, a J.D. McKissick, uh, and, and that way you don't have to expend a whole lot of energy on the position, either drafting or really trying to go out and sign someone and pay big bucks uh, to maybe overpay a guy like Mike Davis to return. I like that you brought up Bo Scarborough's name because I think he's somebody that people tend to forget. Oh, yeah, he's on the Seahawks roster. Uh, had a, a pretty well-known college career at Alabama. Torched the Huskies in the Peach Bowl in 2016. Freak of nature. Yeah. Uh, built like a brick house. Seventh-round pick of the Cowboys last year in 2018, which if you look at it like that, it's almost like the Seahawks gained an extra seventh-round pick in the 2018 draft by acquiring him. I think he's somebody that certainly has a a ceiling that can be higher than most uh, practice squad running backs or, or – or most seventh-round draft picks. Uh, You wonder, though, with Penny and Carson firmly entrenched on the depth chart here in Seattle, if Scarborough is going to get those kinds of opportunities here or if he's going to be just simply a a nice depth piece to have. I think think he will be a depth piece. That's what you're hoping Bo Scarborough will be because that means that Chris Carson and Rashad Penny are doing their job and they have taken it to the next step and that they are remaining healthy. But if things were to happen because we know that that position is a tough one to stay healthy in all through a 16-game season, uh, a regular season, Bo Scarborough then could potentially, with his talent, with his size, uh, be a great addition and could step in and, and also play the same style and brand of football that you want to as an offense. Also, the wide receiver group, we talked about it uh, in the last segment in uh, four-down territory uh, DK Metcalf is a name that people have, you know, definitely uh, gotten some attention on. Yeah, uh, this weekend in Indy, especially with the measurements that he came out with today, one point six percent body fat. I mean, uh, that doesn't win you football games, but it's certainly intriguing and it's certainly enticing. And in this process, that those are the kinds of things that that teams fall in love with: its speed, its size. It's physicality at that position, and so if you have the tape to back it up, they're gonna 
they're absolutely going to take chances and 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 swing for the fences on a guy like that. AJ Brown also from Ole Miss. Uh, I mentioned Marquise Brown earlier from Oklahoma, who has the speed. There are some interesting names out there that I think uh, if they fell down, uh, you know, second round for whatever reason, I think the Seahawks absolutely may take a swing at that position. It's hard pressed to see it happen, but who knows? It it would certainly be uh, a very eye opening move if the Seahawks did go for a wide receiver. Uh, within the first couple of rounds. I would be intrigued by it. Uh, I know a lot of people would be very, very intrigued by it. Coming up next, would you be a good scout? Regardless of sport, would you be a good scout? I think everybody has one answer to this. So many of us think we're good. Can that be true? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers and Jake Eaps, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in 15 minutes, big if true, Bryce Harper signing with the Phillies today. 13 years, $330 million of the terms of that deal. With that price tag. Would it have been worth it for the Mariners to go after Bryce Harper? We talk that coming up in about 15 minutes on Big If True. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback Jake Heaps here with you for the next 45 minutes on Seattle Sports at night. We've been talking so much about the Combine this week with good reason as it's going on. I think if you're playing a a drinking game and the amount of times that we've said Combine on this show specifically this week, you'd be in bad shape. You'd be in very bad shape. Uh, yes. But so many of us love to critique athletes, uh, us included. Uh, but would we make for good scouts in sports? Would we be able to use the skill sets that we have acquired, regardless of what your 9-to-5 job is, going from that directly into the scouting arena, would would that work out? Would we be way out over our skis, or could we handle it? And that's the thing. Any any sport, any sport that you feel, could you be a scout for the one sport that you feel passion, most passionate about? Uh, and again, sometimes scouts and GMs and personnel – Decision makers sometimes make this a little too complicated. If you have ever seen a leaked scouting report, it is incredible with the amount of information that they dig up, that they dive into to try and make the best educated decision. And they write it about six-point font as well. (laughs) So it's like not only is there a ton on the paper, it's really tiny, so that makes it even more so. That's right, because they got to fit everything on the paper. Exactly, exactly. The Sport your most, uh, that's the biggest interest of you. For me, that's baseball. And with the amount of analytics that go into today's game from top to bottom, like I I respect the analytics community, community a ton. I think what they do it has brought a new level of thinking to the game of baseball. Yeah. To me, though, it is so hard to keep up with. It is so hard to keep up with because there's a new stat to measure player value each and every year, it seems like. But I, I think that 
it, it's important for sports to evolve because you don't want them to be stuck in their ways. You don't want it. You don't want baseball to be played like how it's played in the 1910s, where if you hit one home run, you're all of a sudden among the league leaders in the game, mm-hmm. like one home run for the season. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's important for games to evolve with the times. And baseball is one that from where it is right now to where it was a hundred years ago, you know, I don't know if there's a sport that's undergone a bigger facelift. Do you feel Maybe like, basketball? Yeah. Do you feel like at that point in time now that you could just kind of be on autopilot and let the analytics, the computer make the decision for you? In a way, yeah. You punch in the numbers. You go to baseballreference.com. What's it telling you? They do the the heavy lifting for you in a mm-hmm. way, which then, you, if you've seen the movie Moneyball, there's a lot of you know dramatized versions of what scouting is like in baseball. Yeah, where you know they're they're like, oh, this guy he's got an ugly girlfriend. That means he has no confidence. Like it's like <laughs> I don't know if that's truly indicative of what the kind of baseball player he could be. Uh, For me, though, if you gave me just a clipboard and take me off the streets, put me in a major league scouting department, I'm going to get sniffed out. You think so? As a guy, like, I don't think this guy truly knows what he's doing. Could you find the next gem, though, Curtis? I would hope so. I mean, it's all luck at some point when you find these guys in the the 20th round of the Major League Baseball draft, the 50th round right. of the Major League Baseball draft. Uh, but at some point, you can't be relying on luck when you are scouting. You right. actually have to get down to brass tacks and really decipher what the information you're gathering tells you. Yeah, for me as a scout, the way I would approach this is – I would look at this more about what is the player actually done? What can he actually do? In football, a lot of times we look at potential. We look at size and speed and his and his arm length, and uh, we dive too much into the quote-unquote analytics, I guess you could say. Uh, not necessarily the stats, but more of the physical stature, and I think that's where a lot of teams go wrong. They also counter – they. Uh, they counteract each other or contradict each other is the better word. They contradict each other all the time in their scouting evaluations. Hey, so you know, X receiver does this, this, and this really well. They also do this, this, and this really poorly. Therefore, if he can find this system, it'll be great. If he could find this system or if he gets put into these situations, it'll be bad. It's like they kind of check off both sides of it so that they can say, hey, you know, wipe their hands clean and say, hey, if this guy worked out, I, I nailed it. If he didn't work out, I, I had my eyes on that as well. Uh, it, it's amazing. And and also to you see the, the, the detail that they go into, you know, does he have, you know, balled up calves? Does he have, you know, muscle definition? Is his glutes, does he have a bubble butt, which means that he's got strong legs? Uh, is, is his arm length, is it is it long enough where he can uh, get the extra reach on a certain player, what's his hand size like? Oh well, if a quarterback of his hands are small, then uh, then that means he can't throw in the cold weather and the rain. When in an actuality, you put on the tape, and anytime he's been in that situation, he's balled out, right? Exactly. Or he's done well. He hasn't had an issue. Sometimes these guys overthink it, and that's where, as a as a, a scouting evaluator, I would be looking at these guys, watching the tape, letting the tape speak for itself. 
uh, and then you know trying to find out who they were as individuals, as people. That's how I would approach it. It's interesting how sports. It's not just baseball that is now reliant on analytics. If you watch a basketball game, there are so many other stats developed in how to measure a player's worth. Yeah, player a player efficiency rating (PER) is such a big one in basketball now. If you're over 15, that means you're above average, and then you've got, and then if you're under that, it means you're you're wildly inefficient and should not be on a basketball court. Football, I don't know if they have those set markers to measure somebody like analytically. I DVOA is one that measures team value, mm-hmm. um, but specific player values, I don't know if there is a metric in place. That says they don't have one that's very clear. No, yeah. they, they don't. They don't have one that says, "Oh, Doug Baldwin is clearly the best receiver in football because his whatever rating is X, Y, and Z." Right. I mean, you could say that quarterback rating is is that way, but there are many factors that go into QBR. Um, but it, it's weird in how football is now becoming a sabermetric driven sport in a way with how offenses are developed but there is a a big portion of the football community that pushes back against it yes absolutely uh, and that's where i think you're getting the most pushback is not necessarily in the physical uh part of in uh getting information analytics there are some uh, organizations that are still in the, the the dinosaur age in that regard, not willing to buy into that information, meaning speed, how much uh, output, uh, effort output are they are they doing in practice so that they can remain, so that you can keep track and make sure that your players are remaining in, in peak physical condition at all times. Um, but more in, like you said, the analytics of the current game and the stat tracking and the information that's going on, you're starting to see it more and more and it's becoming more popular. But if you look at from a, the Seahawks standpoint, they look at all that and say everything is pointing to a pass-happy oriented league and one that's really dedicated in the short to intermediate pass game. Well, that's cute and all, but we're going to uh, show you that a run-oriented offense with a deep play-action pass game can still be one of the most potent offenses in the league. And they were sixth in scoring this year, right? Um, so I think there's multiple ways to get it done, and that's where I think uh, analytics don't tell the whole story, but they can certainly help, and if you pay attention to it, it can help you improve in, well, and round out the the areas that you might not be uh, efficient in. Would you make a good scout? Text it in Coors Light text line 710-710. Coming up next, big if true, Bryce Harper is signed. He is officially a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. For the price tag that he signed with Philadelphia, would it have been worth it to you for the Mariners to go after him? Jake and I, we talk that next right here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports Tonight. Shout out to you for joining us. Man, Cougs, they got absolutely smashed tonight. 
Yikes. It, it's, uh, it gets to a point sometimes when you lose that badly as a fan base. Oh. How do you take that? Yeah, when, when do you just pull the plug on the Ernie Kent experiment? It's, what, year five that Ernie Kent is doing this to the Coug basketball program? Stanford is not <laughs> among the best teams in the conference. Definitely not. And yet, holy cow, they uh, they left absolutely no doubt destroying the Cougs tonight. Uh, what was the final score here? It was it was nasty. Uh, they even took it or ninety eight to fifty was oh the final gosh. score, dropping it forty eight point deficit uh, for the Cougs. That's so bad, especially in you're you're in the same conference. Yeah, well, and I mean, you look at the Cougs and what they were able to do the last couple of weeks. It's like, oh, maybe they're getting some momentum here at the end of the season. Right, not even close to that. Yeah, they they Stanford put the kibosh on that one. <laughs> yeah, and then the Huskies tonight they're taking on uh, Cal, who is winless in conference play. Meanwhile, the Huskies have just one loss in conference play. We'll keep our eye out on that one. The Huskies potential trap game, Curtis. Uh. I mean, it, it, there is a possibility that you could overlook it simply because of the disparity in records yeah. of the Huskies and Golden Bears, but I think Mike Hopkins has done an incredible job this season of getting the Huskies to focus uh, each and every game, especially with the target uh, as big as it is on their back right now, being the best team in the conference. I'll give you a little give you a little deal from experience. Sometimes when you're the worst team in the conference, and unfortunately I had experience being one of these teams when I was with the Kansas Jayhawks <laughs> football program, uh, tough times, uh, you would be able to tell that when a team came in like an Oklahoma or a Texas or one of these teams that were at the top of the conference, they came to play the the Kansas Jayhawks at our house. There was no juice in the stadium. There was no electricity. They had to create their own juice. And and so they walk in. They think they're going to walk all over us, right? Uh, and, and we use that to our advantage. And actually, we would jump out multiple times. This happened. Uh, we would jump out, I think it was uh, three or four different times where we jumped out on a ranked opponent in the Big 12, and we would jump up on them, you know, double digits, you know, 10-16. At one point, we were up 16-0 on Oklahoma uh, in the first half, and then they snapped out of it. You know, they turned it on immediately, and the and the game was over. But, uh, you know, sometimes as a – even though you're the best team and you have a, a, a great program, a great organization, sometimes when you walk into a building when there's just no – electricity and in in environments not there you can kind of get sucked in and pulled down and play down to the other team's level so we'll see if that happens to washington we definitely will we'll keep our eye out on the cal UW game as the huskies look to clinch a pac-12 title of their own but today the big story in the world of sports bryce harper signing with the philadelphia phillies 13 years 330 Million dollar deal got paid. Longest contract in major league history in terms of years, richest contract in terms of money. Average annual value is thirteenth highest in major league history, which brings us to tonight's big if true for the dollar and year amount that Bryce Harper signed for today with the Phillies. Would it have been worth it for the Mariners to make a run at Bryce Harper? We'll talk that right here in Big If True. This can't be happening! 
thing. Big. You can't be serious, man. If did, did he, he say, say that? that? True. History is gonna change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious. Now, normally in Big If True, we bring in someone else's opinion, That's someone right. else's take during the day that has gotten our attention. There was none out there. None. There was none. No one brought it out there. We looked at all around national media. We didn't see any big hot takes. No. So tonight, we're generating our very own in Big If True. Now, Bryce Harper, 26 years old, just signed to a 13-year deal, which would take him through his age 39 season. When you look at that deal, does it say... Like, hey, why why weren't the Mariners in on this? Because he's 26 years old. He's younger than Mitch Haniger by two years. He is very much in his prime, or at least should be in his prime, of his Major League Baseball career. His contract would end around the same time, age-wise, that Robinson Cano's will end in a few years, which the Mariners were more than okay with handing him over a 10-year deal when he was 30 years old. Right. And yet Harper will have more of his prime seasons attached to this deal. Mm -hmm. When you look at just the math of this deal, do you think it would have been worth it for the Mariners to make a run for Bryce Harper, even though they've made it explicitly known that 2019 is not in the cards? Correct. I, I think it would have made a ton of sense, honestly. And people listening to this might be like, you guys are nuts. What are you talking about? But when you look at this, Although you're not competing for this 2019 year, Bryce Harper in his quote-unquote prime years would absolutely be in play and be around for when you are trying to make a run as a Mariners organization in 2020, 2021, and so forth. And you have a guy in Bryce Harper who is a superstar player. You said yourself, two years younger than Mitch Haniger, who Jerry Depoto has said that he is absolutely a staple and a guy that they view as a superstar, potential superstar in the major leagues. And so now you add superstar value, you add, uh, you also add the spotlight, you add a player who is extremely competitive. So when you talk about establishing the culture, a Mariners culture, and what that looks like for Scott Service and Jerry DePoto, I don't think that you would have a whole lot of pushback from a guy like Bryce Harper. Maybe you would. I don't know. But I think that he would add into that young, hungry group of guys that uh, are trying to crack that roster and make a run. I think he would fit right in with that. I think what Bryce Harper is about right now is he he wants to win, but what's interesting is that Reports today said that he turned down a, a deal that would have deferred, I believe it was a hundred million of the three hundred and thirty million that he signed with, or signed for today. Uh, he turned down a deferred payment of a hundred million dollars, which would have paid him through, I believe, is like he would have been sixty years old when that contract ran out. Which says to me, like, this is a guy who wants his money and wants it now. He calls JG Wentworth because it's his money and he wants it now. <laughs> 877 cash now. Great commercial right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. So, to me, I think that may have been the biggest element in the negotiations for Bryce Harper's services. And we saw him, in terms of 
total value, maybe not average annual value, but total value of the contract. Right. He beat Manny Machado by th- by $30 million, uh, but Machado's making more per season. Harper wanted to be the highest-paid guy in baseball. Yeah, it was the, important to him, for sure. The Mariners organization, I think it would have been a little tight this year in terms of making that contract work against their budget. But next year, you don't have Felix Hernandez on the books. You're not paying Nelson Cruz anymore. Robinson Cano's off the books as well because the Mets are going to take on the rest of his contract. Right. Like, all of a sudden, there is a lot of money to toss around if you're the Mariners organization. It may not be advantageous to toss around $30 million plus million-plus to one guy when you can get three or four guys for that same dollar amount right. and spread the wealth around a little bit more. But a guy with Harper's talent, you can say, oh, yeah, he only hit 245 last year. But the year before that, in 2017, he was sniffing a, an MVP title before he got injured. Yeah. He's already got another MVP title under his belt. He's 26 years old. He's made the all-star team every single season he's played. Like, that is the type of generational talent that rarely, if ever, hits the free agent market and rarely hits it this young in their career. Yeah, that's where I'm a little shocked that, and again, you pointed out that this year it would be really tough to make it happen, but I'm shocked that the Mariners weren't even in the conversation. Uh, and I know that they're really they are totally looking to revamp this deal, start over, start fresh. And so bringing on a superstar talent like Bryce Harper, um, maybe not, maybe not, might not be on the radar at all. But for this discussion, I think that Bryce Harper, it would have been way more advantageous to bring a Bryce Harper now than it would have been to bring Robbie Cano on when we did at at the current time when he was thirty years old. Robbie Cano's best years were the two, the, you know, the two year, three years before we signed him, right? Yeah. And you're talking about thirty million dollars in that range. You don't think Bryce Harper, that name, that talent, is not going to bring that return and in investment, not just in not just play, but the actual national attention that you would get and the revenue that he would bring to this city and this organization. The jerseys you print for him, heck yeah. The bobbleheads you sell. The, the toys that, that kids are buying with Bryce Harper's face on it. Uh, he, he, you, you may not like the guy personally because of his attitude or whatever, which I have no problems with his attitude because he's a guy that wants to win when he's out there on the field. Uh, yeah, he may rub baseball fans the wrong way because, you know, he's, he's flipping his bat or whatever, which I have no problem with. I'd gladly take his bat flips on my team any day of the week, but – you you look at I mean, it, it we'll never know because he's a Philadelphia Philly for the rest of his career, or unless Philadelphia wants to deal him elsewhere, uh, you know, four, five, six years down the road. But to me, any team that didn't make a run at Bryce Harper missed out on just a a, a franchise changing talent. Yeah, and all of a sudden. The Phillies have a legitimacy, not just in their own town, but across Major League Baseball. And I think that's something that they had desperately wanted this offseason. You look at the moves that they had made, bringing in JT Real Muto, trading for Gene Segura, mm-hmm. signing Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, last year they brought in Jake Arrieta. It, it, it's, 
guys who have, you know, resumes in this game, now you bring in somebody that has one of the best resumes in baseball. Uh, you know, the Phillies, I imagine, are very excited about their future. When we get back here on Seattle Sports at Night, we wrap it up with your text questions. Coors Light text line is there for you, 710-710. It's time to ask us anything right here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports at Night with you on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Coors Light text line is there for you, 710-710. And there's no better time to utilize that technology than right now. It is time for you to ask us anything to close out this week here on Seattle Sports at Night. Jake, what do you got for us on the Coors Light text line? All right, there were some good questions in here. A couple of random ones here. Uh Let's start off with this one. What is the most embarrassing thing you've ever worn? Embarrassing thing I've ever worn? Well, uh, I don't know if it's a, a clothing item per se, but like the most embarrassing look I've ever had was a – I had long hair, like freshman <laughs> yes. year of high school, down to like my shoulders. No way. Way. Yeah. Oh, way. I got to see a picture of yeah, this, Curtis. I had long hair. I'll bring it. I'll, I'll show you one on Facebook. Nice. Uh, here uh, after the show. But, yeah, I had long <laughs> hair down to the shoulders uh, with the glasses. And, I mean, it was it was a look for Amazing. sure. Uh, very, like, Randy Johnson. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's what you were going for? Yeah. Okay. What what was your most okay. embarrassing so I I, I Think it back on. Did you this. ever like frosted tips? No, I never went through a frosted tips phase. Yeah. Thank goodness. Uh, but I, I do remember in high school, for whatever reason, I thought matching completely would be is a really good look. So oh, from head to toe. So like I would show up to school in high school with literally white on white, white on white look all the time. That's and, like Backstreet Boys Millennium. Yeah, era. exactly. And, you know, it would be like, you know, and what I was wearing at the time was oversized sporting gear. So it would be like Nike or Jordan sweats or something. White on white. I'm not sure what I was thinking on that. Uh, but people all the time would be like, man, I wish I had some, like, chocolate milk to just throw on you or something. Oh, you know, no. just ruin your that day. That would be the worst. Yeah. The worst I, possible. I had to be real cautious uh, throughout the whole day. So, yeah. Okay, that was uh, – oh, sorry, that was from the 360. Uh, let's see, got another question here from the 509. 509, east side. Yeah. Very east um, side. Okay, appreciate you listening. Uh, what uh, what celebrity do you think should not be famous? Mm. Celebrity that should not be famous. There comes one right off the top of my mind. And Stacy would not be happy with me on this Ooh, one. Uh, I believe that most reality oh, show stars okay. should not be famous. They they are getting paid to one act like it's reality TV when it's all scripted. First off, and second, it's just I, I just can't get on board with it. It's just constant garbage, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, constantly. But they are so famous. Um, I'm gonna say I've got a couple of thoughts on this one. Uh, 
I'm going to say anybody on like a like the 16 and pregnant cast. Mm, I don't know if they okay. need, I don't know if they need to be famous. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah um but also uh Rob Riggle, the comedian. I You're... cannot stand Rob Riggle. <laughs> like he's always on the Fox NFL Sunday set and I just, I have no need for him in my life. Cannot stand him, huh? No, can't do it. <laughs> cannot do it. Won't do it. Can't win with them. Can't coach with them. Uh, yeah, Rob Riggle. Sorry, man. If you're listening, I, I just I don't need you to be famous in that's my right. world. That's right. He ain't gonna be friends with Curtis Rock. No, that's he's for not. Sure. Okay. All right. Here we go. Next question. Uh, this is a this is one that would be an interesting debate from the three six zero. Is is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? This is gonna this is whatever way I choose to go here because. I've seen this debate all over the internet over the last few years, and I've never truly definitively come out on one side or the other on this because you can weigh both sides. No, it's not. It's a grilled meat. You don't put grilled meat on a sandwich normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the, I guess the, the ethics of a sandwich is meat in between bread. That's right. Which a hot dog is certainly that. But, I'm going to say it's not a sandwich. Okay. Because it's like it, it's encased meat, it's tubed meat. It's different than like sliced meat or or chopped meat. It it, it is not a sandwich. Okay. Okay. Now, I I'm going to say it's not a sandwich. Also, I'm going to back you up on this Curtis, but right. not because it's not a, a, like a a flat piece of meat like a hamburger or something. I'm I the reason why I'm saying it's not a sandwich is because the bread, it's exposed. It's not actually closing. It's not Ooh, yeah. encapsulating the meat, right? It's not on top of it, and, and the meat is barely shown. It is exposed. The hot dog's exposed. The hot you don't dog just... kind of rests on the meat. That's it's not, right. It's not encased by it. That's right. So, uh, to me, therefore, doesn't qualify as a sandwich. Uh, <laughs> uh, interesting text coming in about that one. Uh, okay, let's see. Last one, I think. Uh, this one is from the four two five. Let's see if what this answer is going to be for right, you, Curtis. Right, if you right. were arrested with zero explanation, mm. okay, with mm. zero explanation, what would your family or friends assume it would be? Man, uh, I'm a pretty good driver. I've never been pulled over, so I don't know if they would assume that it was a a speeding violation or something like that. Uh, I. Maybe some like white collar crime. White collar, <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> Curtis got caught for the stock trading. Yeah, again. exactly. I mean, I'm not big into that, but like uh, maybe that—that's what they think I'd get slapped on the wrist for. Okay, yeah. With my family and friends, yeah, what about it would, what about abso- the, the it would absolutely be about uh, driving and maybe speeding. Uh oh. I'd hate to admit. Uh, yeah, time or two, I have been caught speeding a little bit. Mm. Just. It just some people just have lead foots, and unfortunately, that's that's me. I you know I'm kind of cruising, uh, listen to sports radio or some music, and look down and whoops, I'd be going a little too fast. Those, those hot takes get the blood boiling, which then you got to release somehow, and it gets unleashed on your gas pedal. That's right, the foot comes into play. Mm. All right, that's gonna do it for us here on this Thursday. We'll be back with you on Monday night. It'll be Jake and myself. Holding things down here for you. We'll be on live from 7 to 9 on Monday night, so make sure you are tuning in for that one. That's going to do it for us. 
For Jake Heaps, I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.